Okay. So um, what I got was, I mean, I guess it kind of, it's kind of on track, but 57% um, of technicians do not think that performance metrics, uh, for example, efficiency, hours build, rework, et cetera, are an accurate representation of their work. Interesting. 57% of technicians polled, and this is from Wrenchway, I would imagine, because they yeah. have some really great stats. So 50% of technicians polled think that performance metrics like productivity, efficiency, comebacks aren't reflective of their work. Interesting. So would this be would this be like more appropriately to say more ref not reflective of their value? Perhaps. And that's and that's kind of the direction I was going with it because um, it's more in line with what I said and I I know Richard and Stefan are not in our um, our SDL chat, but in our SDL chat, I mentioned, um, you know, one of the guys said something about one of his technicians. They had a great review and uh, they did a review with the technician. The technician, uh, you know, it was a favorable review. Technician goes back out on the floor, starts thinking to themselves, well, I, I think I deserve a raise. I mean, I just got a favorable review, you know, uh, and so then that technician asked for a raise. So it's, and then I responded to, uh, to the person that mentioned that in the SDL chat was, you know, when I ask for a raise, I don't just come in and ask for a raise. I like to write up a nice letter and then it'll include all of my numbers because they're going to bring that up anyway. You go in there and ask for a raise, service manager is going to, the first thing he's going to do is going to pull up your your efficiency, your productivity, your build hours, you know, all of those things. And, your fit, you know, they're going to hit you with all the stuff. They're going to say, well, you know, you're at that point, you're in a negotiation trying to figure out there. I always feel like and this may not be the case, but I always feel like service manager is doing his due diligence to not give you a raise. And it's your job to tell them why you deserve a raise, right? So I always put in all of that information right off the rip. I put on any extracurricular uh, duties that I've done, any um, uh, certifications I've got that quarter, anything like that, anything I feel like that could add to my case. And I just write it up in a letter and I shoot the email. I don't, um, I don't uh, go have a meeting or go talk to them, say, hey, I need a raise or nothing like that. I had to shoot them an email. And that has worked for me for years and years and years. Okay, so one of the things I, I take away from that, and yes, it's pulled, and this is the data from Wrenchway, and it's a good thing to chat about. We've talked about how to evaluate your value as a technician in the past. And anybody, and I'll, I'll put the link up here because uh, I think it's posted on YouTube, not just on Spotify. Um, but this is kind of like a different way to look at it. I think that trying to, trying to, to describe this simply is a challenge because there's a couple things in there. One, as a technician and more, more importantly, as a service leader, if a technician's coming to you for a raise, you're, you're already losing because in all likelihood, if you're not prepared to give a raise, during that chat and you may not know what's coming, 
But if you're not prepared to give it uh, a raise during that chat, you got a 50-50 chance that you're going to get a notice slap in your face, right? Or at least threatening notice, right? So that's why I preach to service leaders, you can't let technicians ask for a raise. And you can't allow yourself to be blindsided by technicians asking for a raise. Think about what's in the marketplace. And I don't necessarily mean the technician labor marketplace, but I just mean marketplace for skilled labor, what the expectation, what the societal expectation for raises is. Like, should a raise come once a year? Period. Should a raise be only had if metrics are met? Should a raise only happen if education levels are met? Like, these are societal questions that we as mechanics see, hear, feel, talk about on a regular basis. For me personally, I walk a fine line between technician and leader. I have to think, okay, 57% of, of technicians don't think performance metrics matter to the value. And, and to those folks, I think you're delusional. Right? If you don't think we're, in, we're a productive member, that is what we do. That Our entire purpose in the shop is to be a productive member. We produce work. So not to have your value be even remotely associated with your production level and your ability to produce is delusional. So anybody that answered on that saying yes or, or however the, the question was asked, folks, you need to really self-reflect a bit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chew on this a little bit more. I want to hear some feedback from Richard and, and Stefan before I go into this more because this has got my, my head absolutely spinning that I want to chew on a little bit more. So Stephen, let, me throw, let me throw something else into you. So from a foreman position, junior technician comes to you and says, hey, um, I feel like I deserve a raise because I've been coming in and killing it for you. I come in and I work my ass off for you, yada, 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 right? We've all got that spiel before. So um, you could have them, I feel like you could have them, hey, okay, well, put it all on paper for me. Go through, write me a letter for this said raise, right? Because sometimes I feel like I've been at the shop and I'm working and it's been a quarter, right? Four months. I've been working 60 hours a week, 50 hours a week for months. And then I write that letter up. And I don't see any progression other than I've just been working. And I'm like, oh, okay. So sometimes I write that letter out and I don't see where I'm I'm worthy of another raise. So just add that into the little to your thought process. Stefan, what what do you think? I I mean whenever I had that conversation, I, I always just I would bring my little spreadsheet. And I would basically talk about kind of a, a year on year review where if I increased my overall uh, labor hours produced, um, given the, the weeks that you take off for a vacation, you know, that shows you an improvement year on year. Yes, you might be more efficient in the building or maybe you're just working longer hours because flat rate gives you that flexibility to generate more hours. But I always looked at it as, well, if my comebacks are pretty good in terms of there's few and far between. Um, and you're not costing the company a lot of money. And this is where it gets a little murky because, you know, some shops do charge techs back for damaged parts. 
if it's deliberate or you know guys will lose time here and there and they don't look like they're really productive because they just spent a day kind of dealing with a, a comeback of theirs that they didn't get paid on so you know removing that from the equation I always looked at it as bringing more value to the company so I would always be trying to add on more specialties from the Audi side which is your high voltage uh, technician so now you can do the electric cars getting your R8 stuff and just kind of moving yourself up that that ladder rung and you know management has to see the value in you as a person to give you that raise as well if they say that they're going to waste their time and they're not really concerned with your future and perhaps that's something you have to sell for them as well as they got to know you're in for maybe a couple of years you know what i mean we're we're looking at an expansion at our new store so we're going to have to add some personnel and i brought it up that maybe we should be hiring for that store now two years in advance so that when the store does open we have people that are kind of up to speed with the expectation of what a new store is going to require or essentially ask for of the staff. You're going to want to book more cars. You're going to have more business flowing through. So build your team ahead of time. But I think you just have to bring the value. And, and if the value is the numbers and, and your manager or your direct boss is a numbers guy, you got to quantify how your likability in the shop turns into numbers, whether it means that you've helped the guy next to you produce 20% more. Maybe you're only producing 10%, but shit, the guy to your left and right, they ain't, they ain't dog shit anymore. They're pulling up 10, 25% more. Maybe the guy across the shop who's scared to talk to anybody, all of a sudden he's making 20% more. And then you start looking at it like, hmm, if you just keep making the same amount of hours, but you can positively impact the shop as a whole to make more money, then isn't that completely part of the the whole game here is to just produce more for everybody. And and that's kind of been my approach to being a foreman is taking on the, the garbage that's going to stall a guy and have a guy make no money whatsoever and just completely crush him. But if each tech is making an extra hour or half an hour on the day for the shop, that more than covers my time, puts a little money in their pocket too. So again, you, you got to bring the numbers if the numbers are important. You got to be happy for the most part, there's guys that stay in the corner quiet all day. No one really bothers them and they turn out tons of hours and they're productive, etc. Are they really part of the team? No, but that's okay. Some guys like to keep to themselves. And I think there's strength in, in many different approaches and in many different personalities in the shop and finding that right blend, it's hard. And I've been in shops that were terrible and I've been in shops that were really good. Same shop, just different people, different time. And I was in a different place in my career. So maybe my ears were a little more open and maybe now they're a little more closed. So, you know, I'm kind of forever learning that numbers aren't everything because if everyone's coming into work upset, they're not making nearly as much as they could as if they were coming into work. This is a great point. This yeah. is a great point right there. Um, foreman, this is why I think it's, it's such a dying art, so to speak, being shop foreman. Because you're you're just as much morale as you are, Mister Fix It, right? You're you're not necessarily just the person that takes on the shit, right? You're not necessarily the person that just helps the apprentices or you know calling engineering because it's exorbitantly time consuming or whatever the case may be. Your morale. Right. If you can help with morale, there is so much more that can be made for both the technicians on the team as well as the business. 
because as as the surveys proved that I continue to prove over and over and over again, the more content and happy a technician is, the so much more money that they make. And the question is, well, are they happy because they're making more money or are they making more money because they're happy? Well, does it matter? Like, really, does it matter? It doesn't. It's it's cyclic. If you're happier, it's going to be easier for you to produce more money. And if you're making more money, it's easier to be happier because life is easier when you're making more money. Yes, does it come with other problems? Yes, it does. Mo money, mo problems. Biggie told us all, right? It's just, it, it is what it is. So trying to get the entire team on that money train, as it were, other things start to fall into place. Richard, what, what say you, good sir? I'm kind of in line with you. Like this 57% thing, I think technicians, like, yes, asking for a raise, you need to be able to, for one, you should have the confidence to uh, to walk in there and, and lay it all out, right? You know, you should be able to walk it, like, especially if you know, if you, if you know what, like, what your starting wage is, and then what your top wage is, what your top guys make. The shop should know what the top make is, like what the top pay is, right? There shouldn't be any mystery around it or anything like that. They should know how much, especially like in Canada, there's percentages, how much you have to pay your apprentices. They should know how much the lube techs are paid. They should know how much anybody in that shop is paid from lube tech to foreman, right? You should know how much hour-wise anybody's getting made or any anybody's getting paid. And then, so if you're, if a tech is in that, like that, you know, they're not at the top pay yet and they're looking to get there, they should really, like, they got to do their bit of due diligence. But at the same time, management should have stepped up. Like, you know, my service manager is in the shop all the time. He's talking to everybody. He's talking to me. He uses me as the pulse of the shop. I talk to all my technicians at, like you said, though, at the moment a tech comes to you and, and is like, hey, I need a raise, you know that they've already they've already had probably half a dozen interviews at other stores without your knowledge. You know they already or have dealers. Or they're just on. actively looking yeah. at every freaking job ad known to man. Yeah. Marshall's going to be the exception, right? Marshall's the kind of individual that's the exception because Marshall, like Stefan, like yourself, like myself back in the day – we were jumping on every ounce of education and training we could possibly get our hands on. We were already yeah. we're already producing, you know, 120% or better regularly. We're already at or damn near top pay. So we're coming with all of the all of the receipts as it were with hey, you know, it's been 12 months. You know, I'm being proactive here. Here is my last 12 months. You know, here's the, the top 10 wins I've had in the last 12 months. Here's my numbers for the last 12 months. Here's the new, in Marshall's uh, um, standpoint, here's the 10 new clients I brought on board for 45 new pieces of equipment that we're now servicing. I think uh, given the market, given what I'm producing, given what I'm making the company, you know, a 4% raise uh, is is due. That's a little different than the average technician out there, the 80 percenter that is not necessarily – they don't necessarily know what their numbers are. They don't know what they produce for the business, right? When we talk about production and, and 
you know, 57% don't think production is part of their value. I'm really trying not to get upset to that statement because it pisses me off because we're production, right? But if you don't know what you produce for the business, it's hard to ref and what, how expensive it is to have you making what you're making. It's difficult to have a civilized objective conversation. And this is where a lot of folks that I speak to in coaching and, you know, even just online, just looking at all the comments on all the forums that I'm starting to really try and chew on, just like Gary Vee does, consume the consumer. If you don't know how expensive you are, and I don't just mean your, your, your wage, if you don't understand the expense that goes into the hour that you produce, it's difficult to have an intelligent conversation with your leader. Like it's, it's, it's just, I deserve a wage or a raise or whatever the case may be. Understand that if you produce 160 hours a month at hundred dollars an hour, you know, like that's $16,000. If your effective labor rate at the end of the month is hundred dollars an hour. If you're already making seven grand a month based on those hours and your wage, whatever, and I'm just throwing a number out here. That's a super big chunk of the, the labor pie that the service leader is trying to pay the bills on, right? There's all kinds of expenses and such that you don't necessarily know about and most don't know about what goes into really paying the bills. Like even the granular stuff that add up quick. Like you don't know in, in parts, you know, what the carrying cost of obsolescence is. And when you talk to the average technician, when I ask them about parts and things like that, just grasping that the interest on the obsolescence could be five grand a month, just the interest on obsolescence, forget about the payment. Like if they're borrowing a uh, happen, let's say it's a, a big month and the parts manager is going, let's, let's do a 10,000 filter purchase this month because we're going to get, we can afford it this month to carry it, but we're going to buy 10,000 oil filters. That's a really big nut that they have to try and swallow. And then your labor helps to pay for that as a fixed, as part of the fixed ops profit centers that you don't necessarily know about or have never even talked about. Or so when the other thing on that too, though, especially uh, I'm not too sure how HD does it, but like from the dealership side, when, the OEM ships you specialty tools and they are billed directly to your dealership. And you're like, oh, that's great. That was a $10,000 battery tray that I didn't order. Like I have my, my controller comes to me with the printouts from, cause Bosch ships all the GM tools and so mm -hmm. it's got Bosch written on the top. And it's like, did you authorize this? I'm like, no, God, no, I didn't authorize that. Like, I don't think the technicians don't understand like, yeah, Specialty tools show up. They show up because the OEM deems that the dealership needs these tools to do the job. You don't get a choice on saying, no, I don't want them. Like they just ship them to you and build them directly to you. That's a huge our, cost. Too. Ours just so show think, up as well. They just show yeah. up and there'll be a, a, a damn pallet and it'll be $50,000 worth, worth of tools, you know, just out of nowhere. Yeah. It can it can be five hundred fifty or it can be fifty thousand or more. Like I was at a Subaru store recently. Um, I went to meet a service leader and, and you know understand their shop a little bit better, see if I can help them out anyway. And this is this I won't call it a mom and pop shop because they're part of a group, but it's a six bay shop Subaru store. Okay, six techs, six bays, small. 
he got shoved a $16,000 battery, a, a rolling battery cart, right? They've sold three. They've sold three. And as I understand it, and, and those out there that are in Subaru that are listening, you can do your due diligence, due diligence and, and tell me whether this is true or not. They're discontinuing the thing that that, ba- that the vehicle, that that battery tray lowers. So they've never used the $16,000 battery cart. They're unlikely to use it past maybe two years from now, should one of their three vehicles actually come back and, and need a battery replacement. So they've got a $16,000 tool that they have to store now somehow in a six bay shop. Six bay shop, and they got to try and store this thing. And they're never going to use it. So I think maybe... Maybe part of this conversation where we're saying, you know, performance isn't part of the value. It is, but it's not the only thing that determines value. You've got, are you aware of what expenses are? Are you aware of all the things that you can help benefit the the entire team? Like, do you understand parts enough to be, be relevant in conversations, right? Right. And this is why we continue to preach journaling. Like Stefan, Richard and Marshall have all noted things that, if you want to bring something up, write it down. And it's the stuff between the stuff. Like I keep talking about, like, uh, um, Stefan mentioned, you know, the, the bay mates are up 20% because of what you're doing to help them. Well, nobody might know that unless you write it down. And it's like, Hey, these 15 work orders in this past 45 days, I've might helped help. James on, Right. These 15 work orders in the last 45 days, I've helped Pete on my baymates. Like I've lost on those days, quote unquote, I've lost maybe an hour of my time on those days. I'm still productive, but both of those guys are now hitting hundred percent because we talk about it. So instead of 80% on two of them, you've helped 40% increase in productivity without losing productivity yourself. He's making them so much money, but you got to write it down so that you have contextual relevant conversations on. Yep. I, awesome. I asked our parts department for their um, for the, the the software that they use to uh, to essentially book out parts and to look them up, and it ended up saving us uh, two cars that would have had a different transmission fluid used during a service. So you know, again, you can save money for the company too by preventing a problem from becoming a problem. A simple. Mm-hmm one letter change on a part number and you're looking at the shape of the bottle and you're looking at your baymate going, Hey dude, wrong fluid, wrong fluid mm-hmm. it happens. It's fine. It's a, it's a mistake. But to a new guy, this is what parts gave me. Right. But you know what? It's fine. It's a miss. It's a misstep. It's a mistake, but that mistake could have been a incorrectly filled transmission, possibly damaged to said transmission and just a, a whole can of worms. So, you know, value is always in what you make, but also in what you save as well. So, you know, yeah, write 100%. it down. Hundred percent. I think we all agree on that one. That's a that's a great lead in, Marshall. 